Now we're turning in the Word of God together, please, to First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter one. And the verse eighteen is our text for this time. We're looking at the title Attitudes Toward the Cross. Attitudes toward the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. The word of God states, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Let's bow in a word of prayer together. Let's ask for the Lord's help upon the preaching of his truth now. Heavenly Father, we freely admit our need of Christ, our need of the power of the Spirit of God at this time. Oh, Father, I pray that thou fill me to the uttermost with the Holy Ghost. Lord, I pray that each one of thy people may be filled. I pray that the Holy Spirit may move upon the hearts and the lives of individuals yet without Christ. And I pray that each one of us may be strengthened, strengthened to do the needful and see Christ and Christ alone. Father, bless us now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What is your attitude toward the cross? What is your attitude toward the cross? I I want to ask, is your dependence for heaven entirely upon what happened at the cross, the blood that the Lord Jesus Christ shed when he died upon that middle tree, is your dependence for eternal life entirely upon that which took place at the cross? Uh, It's my fear that for many churchgoers in Ulster today, and there are still many churchgoers in Ulster today, There are still many that at this very moment are sat somewhere in a church in this province, no doubt also in Margaret Hill, and sadly they have no interest in the cross. No interest in the cross. You know, I thought it was interesting. I was talking to one of my committee men a few months ago, and we were talking about a particular family in the South Down District, and uh, we were talking about how how they were a family that go to church every Sunday, in fact, very active in their church. We're talking about how they were good people, moral people, trustworthy people, if you will. We're talking about how they were a people that are Protestant, so-called. Now, Protestant, I believe, is a name for a Bible-believing Christian, but loyal, unionist, all those things. Uh, You could say they were good citizens in their community, but the point is this, they went to church every single Sunday, but my committee man then said a phrase that I had never heard before. Maybe you've heard it many a time. He said, but they wouldn't be gospel greedy. But they wouldn't be gospel greedy. And it made me think. It was a phrase I'd never heard before, but what a description of much of the church-going population of Northern Ireland today. They come to the house of God, they go to church, they're good people, they're moral people. Maybe it's a good work they feel that possibly I'll get to heaven if I go to church. Maybe even they're, they're loyal in that sense. They're, they're the type of people you'd say, well, well, they die for the flag, but they die in their sin. There's plenty of people like it, but they're not gospel greedy. I wonder, what about you? 
What about this congregation in Monash uh, <laughs> Lane and Market Hill? Is this a gospel-greedy congregation? Is there somebody here that maybe you, you just come to church out of habit? You come to church because it's a thing to be done. You come to church because you've always come to church. You come to church because your parents always went to church. But maybe in the depth of your own soul, you have no real time for Christ or the gospel or the blood. Friend, if that's you, and you're not gospel greedy, I pray today that you will repent You'll believe the gospel. You will come to Christ, seeking the Lord while he may be found, calling upon him while he is near, because he is the only hope of glory. He is the only way of redemption. So I simply want to ask you, what is your attitude toward the cross? Because in our text, in the verse 18, we find two different attitudes toward the cross. The first one is the attitude of the child of God going on with God. For the preaching of the cross is to them, the perish, uh, perish foolishness, but to us which are saved, it is the power of God. Is that your attitude? The power of God. That's the gospel. Or are you, maybe the attitude of the preaching of the cross is to them, the perish foolishness. Is that your position? Is that your a line, your motto, where you come to the house of God, but I wish they wouldn't speak so much about the cross or the blood. It's just foolishness to your soul. Well, friend, I want you to note three things about this verse, and they're not complicated. They're fundamental things, really, but I'll outline them for you now. You can listen out for them later. Number one, the preaching. Number two, the perishing. And number three, the power. So we're going to look at number one, the preaching. Look what it says at the start of the verse 18. For the preaching of the cross. Now I love that phrase, for the preaching of the cross. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes it perfectly clear that his ministry was about the preaching of the cross. Because look what we read in the verse 23 of this same chapter. We preach Christ crucified. That was him preaching the cross. Look at the verse 2 of chapter 2. For I determined not to know anything among you, save what? Save Jesus Christ and him crucified. The preaching of the cross. Now, this is a fundamental part of the gospel. I want to make it perfectly clear today, if a man stands in this pulpit, and I know the Reverend Patterson is faithful to your soul, but there ever be a time when a man stands in this pulpit and he doesn't preach the cross, I tell you, he has failed to preach the gospel. You cannot preach the gospel and exclude the cross. It cannot be done. The preaching of the cross is the preaching of Christ. It is the preaching of the blood. It is the preaching of redemption. But sadly, the preaching of the cross, a fundamental message is missing in most pulpits in Ulster today. I don't think that's an exaggeration. The preaching of the cross is missing in most pulpits today. Of late, I find myself having to go to a number of funerals. And I tell you this, friend, it grieves my soul to see a church packed to the rafters, every seat taken, and a man stand in the pulpit, and he refuses to preach the cross. There's blood on that character's hands, you know that? The blood of the innocent upon that man's hands. The preaching of the cross is vital. But I want to, uh, you all to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy chapter 13. I want you to know that this lack of preaching of the cross... 
Well, it's no new thing. It's no new thing. In fact, the Lord warned the children of Israel all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 13 and in the first three verses that there would be false prophets, false preachers. There would be those that refuse to preach the truth and refuse to preach Christ and the preaching of the cross. And there's a warning here. Deuteronomy 13, look at the verse 1. The word of God says, this is the Lord speaking through his prophet Moses. It says, if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee saying, let us go after other gods which thou hast not known and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. We find this is no new thing. In the very earliest times of the children of Israel and Moses and all of those early days that we recall, and I know in this church you're going through a series on, on Moses with the Reverend Patterson, but even in those days, there's the warning that men will arise that will not preach the truth. Well, it's no different today. Come with me to Jude, chapter, uh, well, Jude only has the one chapter, but Jude verse 4, the second to last book of the Bible, Jude and the verse 4. And I want you to note that not only in the past was there a warning that there are going to be men that refuse to preach the cross, but in the present, in 2024, there are men that refuse to preach the cross. And it says in Jude and the verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We see that, don't we? We see that today. There are pulpits in this land, many of them, and there is no message for the soul. There is no preaching of the cross. There is no preaching of Christ. And I want to tell you something more. Not only has it been a problem in the past, Come with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Not only has it been a problem in the past, not only is it a problem in the present, where men have crept into the visible church and preach another gospel, but it will be a problem in the future as well. 2 Timothy chapter 4, the background to 2 Timothy chapter 4 is 2 Timothy chapter 3 that says, In the last days perilous times shall come. And then we find the importance in the verse 14 of chapter 3 of continuing in the things that thou hast learned, continuing in all scripture, and then the charge that in the last days and days to come we have this obligation, chapter 4 and the verse 2, of preaching the word. Preaching the word. Why is that the case? Look at the verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now we find that in every single period of time there has always been the problem of false prophets, of false teachers, a refusal to preach the cross. I want to encourage you here. Turn with me to Matthew 7. By the way, we're going to be using our fingers and turning in our Bibles. That's what we're here to to understand the word of God today, not Daniel Henderson's thoughts. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, 
and 23. I want to encourage you sometimes, and I have this problem myself. I will go to an occasion like a funeral or something like it. I will see a a packed crowd. I will see no gospel preached. I will see uh, hundreds of souls going out without the preaching of the cross. I want to console the child of God that those men will be dealt with one day. Those individuals will be dealt with one day. And it says in Matthew 7, and look at the verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? What is that? That's men standing before Christ at the great white throne of judgment, and they say, but we have been preachers. We have preached in thy name. What does it say, verse 23? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You find just because somebody may stand in a pulpit, somebody may wear a clerical collar or gowns or whatever else, doesn't mean they're not going to hell. You know, there's many, many in there deceiving their people. And I want us to understand the importance of preaching the cross. You know, you say, but, but, but sure, we're free Presbyterians, we know this. Well, I'm sure... 200 years ago, people in the Presbyterian church would have said, sure, we're Presbyterians. That'll never happen to us. Look at it today. I'm sure there's people in the Church of Ireland when when you had men like J.C. Ryle or go further back, way further back, Thomas Cramner, men like that, sitting in the pew saying, that would never happen. I can never foresee a day when Christ would not be preached. But look at us today. I tell you this. As a denomination, we're not immune from this danger. The preaching of the cross is vital, not only for the minister to understand, but for the people of God to understand. And I often say this to my people in Monash Lane, if the day ever arises when I don't preach Christ and I don't preach the cross and I preach some error, kick me out, whether it be out of a door or out of a window, you choose, but kick me out. Because the preaching of the cross is the preaching that ought to be in the pulpit. I want you to note that the preaching of the cross has always been the message that God expects. All the way back in Leviticus 17, the Lord said to Moses, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that make an atonement for the soul. The preaching of the cross, the preaching of the blood. It's what Moses was to make A huge deal over the blood. Isaiah 53 in the verse 5. Many of you will have committed it to memory. What did Isaiah declare and propagate among the people? He said, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. What did Moses declare? The blood. What did Isaiah declare? The blood. Come with me if you would to 1 John chapter 2. First epistle of John General chapter 2 and the verse 2. What was it that that John preached? Well, I I give you a clue. It was the same message that Moses preached. And it was the same message that Isaiah preached. It was the blood, the cross, the preaching of Christ and him crucified. And it says in 1 John 2 and the verse 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins. Now you say that's a big word. What does that mean? Propitiation. The word propitiation means that Christ is appeased or turned away or pacified. The wrath and the anger of God in his justice. Well, he is the propitiation for our sins. What's he preaching? The cross. Preaching the cross. 
And we read it again in that same book in chapter 1 and verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Well, did Peter preach the same thing? Yes, he did. 1 Peter 2 and verse 24. The same message. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. I want to underline something and make something perfectly clear to every single individual here today. The preaching of the cross has always been the message God expects to be declared. And sadly, in our modern generation, there are people that say, well, we could, we could fill up these wee empty pews if we, if we change our message, if we modernize, if we bring in the gimmicks, if we, if we do this wee activity, if we do this other wee thing. I tell you this, my friend, you can fill a church to the brim and fill it with souls going to hell and let them go to hell by changing the message, but you're better having few in number and faithful to God. The preaching of the cross. That is what every pulpit is to perform. The preaching of the cross. Come back with me to our text. We find not only the preaching of the cross, but number two, the perishing. The perishing. Look at the the verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 1. For the preaching of the cross is to them the perish foolishness. Is to them the perish foolishness. Now, have you ever thought, why is it that that churches change their message to try and appeal to people. You ever wonder why it is that, that they sort of exclude Christ, exclude the cross, exclude the blood, don't do anything to do with truth from the word of God, but, but we'll bring in gimmicks, we'll bring in activities, we'll bring in the band and the lively music, and we'll do all those things to fill the pews. Do you ever wonder why that is? When we have such a, a majestic message to proclaim, when we have the greatest of all messages, well, I tell you why. They're appealing to the carnal loss of the flesh. They're not appealing to any godliness within this world. We have the greatest message to proclaim. We proclaim God's law, the Ten Commandments. We proclaim that we are sinners and we have broken that law. We deserve death, eternal death, judgment, hell forevermore. Yet we tell of Christ and the cross and how Christ died and shed his blood and there's cleansing in the blood and not just some of your sin or the majority of your sin but, but all your sin can be washed away. We tell that hell isn't your portion but rather heaven can be your home. Friend, that is the greatest message that could ever be proclaimed. But why is that message changed? Why is that message annexed? I'll tell you why. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it perfectly clear that men and women in Market Hill, just like in Money Slain, have no desire to hear that message whatsoever. Because they can't hear that message. Because they're dead. Spiritually dead. And without the movement and the, the making alive of the Spirit of God, there is no hope for a sinner either. Because in and of ourselves, we are spiritually dead and deaf. To God's call. That's how depraved our hearts are. Ephesians 2, look at the verse 1. And you hath he quickened. That means made alive. And you, if you're a Christian, and you hath he made alive who were dead. Look what it says. Dead in trespasses and sins. I don't know, I'm sure most of you have been to a funeral or a wake of some form. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, have seen a body of some form at a wake. 
And you can remember that. You know that, that even sometimes a dead body can look more alive than they did when they were alive. The makeup they do on them is so good. But I tell you this, they're dead. They don't hear you. They don't speak to you. They don't move. They don't react. Why? Because they're dead. Well, that is how the word of God pictures the sinner in their sin in Market Hill today. And look what it says. It gets worse. Verse 2. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. The only appetite this world has is for the world. Look at the verse 2 again. According to the prince of the power of the air. That is a reference to the devil. Walking according to the devil's will. Look at the verse 2 again. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3. Among whom also we all had our conversation or our behavior in times past. In the lusts of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And whereby nature, this is the way we were born in our depravity, in our sin as we were born in sin, sheep and in iniquity. And whereby nature, the children of wrath. And what is the turning point? Why is it that there are individuals saved in this meeting today? Verse 4. God. That's why. Because God intervenes. Because God steps in. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Go back to the verse 1. It goes full circle. And you hath he quickened. You hath he made alive. That's how sinners become receptive to the gospel. That's how sinners will, uh, will repent and believe the gospel and know what it is to be saved. Come with me back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians in chapter 2. And look at the verses 12 through to 14. Because Paul explains this. And, and Paul explains that redemption, salvation, it's not on the basis of how eloquent the preacher may be or how good the preacher may be or how organized the session may be or how evangelistic necessarily even the church as a church family may be. It is ultimately up to the Lord to do his saving work. And it says in 1 Corinthians 2 and the verse 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Look at it, verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually Discerned. Have you ever wondered, everyone looking this way a moment, have you ever wondered why men like Richard Dawkins, uh, Stephen Hawkins, people like that, uh, they say, I've read the Bible. I've read the Bible. I, I know the gospel. You ever heard them say that in debates? I have. You ever wondered why they can read the same Bible that you read and yet it doesn't touch their souls, doesn't move them to repentance? Why is that? Because the Spirit of God must do a work. Because the Spirit of God must move. The Spirit of God must move the man from his dead position uh, to, to being alive in Christ. And therefore the message will always be foolishness unto him. It will never make sense. Because these things, the gospel, the preaching of the cross, they're spiritually discerned. 
That's why there may be an individual here, and you have sat in Market Hill, Free Presbyterian Church, not just for a handful of Sundays, or a month or two, or a year or two. Maybe there's someone here, and you sat here for a decade or two. You know nothing of Christ yet. Yet it's faithfully preached, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. That's how serious our sin is. That's how blinding our sin is. And you know when we read, and we've already read it from 2 Timothy 4 and the verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. You say, well, that's our day. That's our day and generation. The preaching of the cross is right now in Market Hill and Monish Lane and everywhere else in Ulster in the United Kingdom. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. They won't endure sound doctrine. You say, what do I do? What do we do? How do we alter things? How do we change things? How does revival come? I tell you this, Paul gives the answer in the verse 2 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Preach the word. You preach the word anyway. You preach the cross anyway. You preach Christ and Him crucified anyway. You preach the blood anyway. Because the saving work is not for us to do. That's the Lord's business. But our job is to deliver the message of the cross. And I ask, will we be faithful in that? You know, in Monash Lane last week, we did our motto text uh, from the book of Acts. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's to be our theme. Not just for a year, for a lifetime. They cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Why? Because that is the only message that can see souls saved. That is the only message that the Spirit of God will bless. You know, there's the temptation. There is the temptation. As there be lessening church attendance, pews become empty, things begin to deteriorate, interest seems to be waning. Oh, the temptation is there to change, to alter to modernize. God never blesses it, friend. God never blesses it. We are never to go down the road of instead of feeding the sheep, entertaining the goats. We're to preach Christ and Him crucified, even if the perishing think it's foolishness. But then we find the preaching and the perishing, number three, last of all, the power. The power. Look at our verse, verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved. Now, this is what I love now. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. It is the power of God. Now you see, the preaching of the cross, this is why we maintain it. This is why we declare it. This is why we preach it. Because those of us that are saved know the power that lies behind the preaching of the cross. You know, friend, you know those individuals that, that change the message and modernize the church and, and bring in all these antichrist spirit things? You know those people, they have never been saved in the first place. They have never known the power of the cross. Because if they understood it, they wouldn't change a thing. Because I tell you this, my friend, to personally know and feel the reality of the power of the cross is a wonder to the soul. That's why it grieves me why... So many of the people of God don't see fit to come uh, to a Sunday night gospel service, you know. Because if you really got a hold of that truth, that the gospel, the preaching of the cross, that is the power of God unto salvation. 
How could I not come and listen to it? How could I not come and do as our brother rightly said, support the preaching of the cross? Because that's the dynamite of God. I trust we'll get a hold of that. Because friend, let me put it like this. When you have experienced it, it is real. You know about it. You know the effects of it. You know the sin you were in. And yet you have been cleansed. You know the hell that you deserved. And now heaven is your portion. You know the, the, the things that you once loved, you now hate. And the things you once hated, you now love. You know that you are changed and transformed. And why? Because of the power of the cross. I remember hearing Dr. Paisley talk to a man that was concerned about his soul. And he, he believed, he he was never saved. Now this man, before he was saved, was a drunkard, an alcoholic, uh, sort of homeless because of his love of alcohol. And yet the Lord saved him, changed him, transformed him. And years, years later, as a man of God, he came to Dr. Paisley and said, I'm not sure if I'm saved. Dr. Paisley said to him, well, well, would you go to the pub? And he said, I wouldn't go to the pub. Sure, the Lord wouldn't be pleased with that. And he said, well, well, would you drink alcohol? He said, no, no, I couldn't do that. The Lord wouldn't be pleased with that. He said, brother, you're saved because your appetites have changed. You know what it is to experience the, the power of God and to hate the things you once loved, to love the things you once hated. That's the power of God. Now, to the world, this is foolishness. They don't understand it. I don't know whether I gave this illustration um, during the mission or not, but I'll give it anyway. It'll outline the point. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. If you're like me, you like to go to the chip shop. And uh, you can probably tell that I'm not the skinniest preacher that's ever stood in Market Hill's pulpit. But you go into the chip shop and you see the hot food counter and you see all those lovely things and you see the, the fish and maybe the chips on the side, maybe a few sausages and things like that. Oh, and all, those, all those terribly unhealthy things and, and, and they all taste good and I don't understand that. But anyway, and you often see a little sign, uh, counter hot, do not touch. Now, if you're anything like me, you read a sign like that and you want to touch it, don't you? Uh, and you want to do the exact opposite to what the sign told you to do. And it says, hot, do not touch. So you touch it and you go, ooh, that's hot. Sign's right. I want to tell you this. The preaching of the cross, it's one thing to read about it and know it in theory and know it up here. It's a completely different thing to personally experience the power of it. To know that you're saved. To know that it's done a transforming work. If you're here today and you're, you're a Christian, so-called, quote-unquote, by theory, you know it all up here. Friend, I'm afraid you'll miss out on heaven by about six inches because it's got to take place in here. You've got to experience it. You've got to know it. You've got to know that the Lord has touched you and changed you and transformed you. And look what we read in our verse. Verse 18. But unto, but unto us which are saved. I just want to ask, are you a part of that group? Are you a part of that group? I, I know many of your faces but I don't know all of your faces. I don't know everybody, and I certainly don't know all of your names and your circumstances and all of those things. And I'm sure in a crowd like this, there is somebody that isn't saved. And friend, I, I plead with you. 
I plead with you best I can. If you're not part of that group, but unto us which are saved, and you haven't yet experienced the power of God, I want to ask you, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? Because I have never, never met a Christian that has regretted getting saved. I've met a lot of Christians in my time. I've visited a lot of Christians in my time. And every single one of them, no matter the circumstances they're in, even on the deathbed, they've always been able to say, the Lord has never let me down. The Lord has always been good to my soul. Are you part of that unto us which are saved? Because if you are, well, let's turn to a few references. Come with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. If you are part of that group, then you'll have experienced certain things. Well, you've experienced the power of the cleansing blood. And what a wonderful power that is. To know that not just some of your sin, but all of your sin is gone. To know that every single stain and filth attached to your character is gone and gone forever. Past sin, present sin, future sin, all of it gone. Look at it. 1 John 1 verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from, if you're in the habit of marking it, underline it, circle it, all, all sin. Not just some, all sin. That's the power of the gospel, friend. That's the power of the preaching of the cross. It cleanseth this blood. Then if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you'll know, and I've already touched on it, that not only when you've experienced the power of God does it cleanse you, but it transforms you. Oh, it transforms. You become a different man, a different woman, a different child. It turns you completely to love the things of Christ, to love the Word of God, to love the place of prayer. And you know, that's why I find it so difficult to understand why so many, as I've already said, don't come to the gospel service. Why so many don't come to the prayer meeting. Why so many don't come to the house of God when they can. Because if you're saved and experience this power, you're different, you're new, you're changed, you're transformed, friend. Look what it says, 2 Corinthians 5. 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. They become new. And then, with the power of the cross, well, you have the promise of glory. I love these verses. John 14, verse 2, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Oh, friend, this is just something. Just something of the power of the cross, the power of God. Why do you think it is that Paul was so impassioned in Romans chapter 1? Why do you think it is that he writes, and, and he does write in an impassioned way, when he says, verse 15, I am ready to preach the gospel to you. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why was he ready? Why was he not ashamed? Why was he willing to suffer shipwrecks and stripes and imprisonments and beatings and stonings and all the rest of it that Paul went through? Why was he willing to go through with God? Because he understood the power of God. It says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friend, we've lost sight of that. Because if we still understood it, 
Our evangelism will be keener and hotter and more zealous than it's ever been before. Do you understand that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation? And you know, not only is the gospel and the preaching of Christ and the blood and the cross, not only does it have power to save, but it has keeping power as well. And Romans 8 in the verses 37 and following says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Listen to Paul now, I love it. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The power of the cross, the power of God unto salvation. Oh, friend, I encourage you I plead with you, never, never be ashamed of the gospel. Never be ashamed of the gospel. And I trust, as it's my prayer for Monish Lane and the entirety of the denomination, that we would never change from the preaching of the cross. So what's your attitude to the cross today? Maybe you're one and you say, yes, yes, preacher, to me it's the power of God. I know it. I've trusted it. I believe it. I'm saved. I'm heaven bound. But friend, if you're still here without Christ, maybe you still don't understand what I have been preaching today. And you say, it's just not, it's just not coming to me. I just don't get it. The word of God says it is to them the perish foolishness. If you think this is a foolish message, I warn you, you are part of the perishing. Hell is your portion if you don't turn. So friend, repent, believe. It is time to seek the Lord. It's my prayer that you'll prepare to meet thy God. What is your attitude to the cross? For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of of God. We trust the Lord to bless his word to each of our hearts for his own name's sake. We're going to sing hymn number 107. 107. We'll sing the first and last verses. 107. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my Sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Help me, dear Savior, thee to own, and ever faithful be, and when thou sittest on thy throne, O Lord, remember me. 107, first and last verses, will stand as we sing.
Heavenly Father, we come before thee and we pray for those that are not yet saved, those that are part of the perishing. We pray that they may trust the preaching of the cross today. Lord, help us as the people of God that have experienced that power. Help us to ever faithful be, ever faithful to the Master. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.